Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much that you're a God who has uh, revealed yourself to us, uh, that you're a God who has been so gracious and good uh, in sending your Son into this world, a thoroughly undeserving world that had turned against you, that you sent him in this world to reconcile us to yourself, to bring us into your eternal kingdom, the kingdom of your Son, and that he has done that by living in this life, a perfect life, uh, by dying on the cross to forgive us of our sins and by being raised from the dead to begin the new age of the kingdom, leaving behind the wonderful promise that we hold on to so dearly that he will return one day and he will seat us uh, in the heavenly places with great joy and rejoicing. And so we pray, Father, as we hear your word today that encourages us, challenges us, and even rebukes us that it will help us to be able to set our sights uh, on trusting in Jesus and looking forward to his return. And pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when you uh, read the Gospels, uh, which are the four stories, I guess, that documents Jesus' life, uh, you will see that Jesus interacts with many people. Uh, and when you think about it, you can probably categorize the people that he interacts with in three ways. Right, the first group of people are people that you wouldn't expect to interact with Jesus at all. Right? They're people who have nothing to do with the Jewish Messiah, which is what Jesus was, because they were Gentiles or they were pagans. Or maybe they were the outcasts of society, like the lame and the blind uh, and the beggars. And, th- and they were on the outcast. But when Jesus came with love and compassion to seek and save the lost, these are the people that came to him and received the message of love and hope. Uh, and when Jesus welcomed them, they, they, they embraced him with both of their arms and with a great big uh, faithfulness right, to, 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 to Jesus that they were looking for, that they weren't quite expecting. The second group were people who were disciples of Jesus, the followers, right? those who had heard and come to know Jesus. They're probably among the Jewish people. Uh, and when Jesus uh, came and they knew who he was, they wanted to follow him. They got baptized initially by John the Baptist, and then they gathered around him like at the uh, at, at some of the mount, and they were here. And he, Jesus loved them too, right? He, he would teach them the kingdom, teach them about faithfulness and fruitfulness. He taught them that he came to bring them rest and life, but he also gave them challenges and warnings not to turn away from him and to, to keep holding on to him. And then we get this third group. And usually we think of them as being like the Pharisees, the, the teachers of the law, the religious people, the self-righteous, who thought and assumed that they were in, they were tight with God, but we knew that there were concerns, real worries about where they really stood. And Jesus loved them as well, right? But with a tough love. Because when you see him interacting with them, there was always a lot of warnings, a lot of cautions. He always made them uncomfortable to shake them up because they desperately needed to be. They thought they were right with God, but maybe they weren't. Now, as we kind of think about that, as we begin, I, I kind of wonder what you think you are. Where you stand among those three general groups? Are you this uh, faraway person who, who was just loving hearing this message of life and hope? Whether you're someone who says that you follow Jesus and you are growing and you are being faithful and fruitful. Or whether you might be someone who was maybe born into a Christian family, who had received Christ one time, who said the sinner's prayer 10 years ago, who'd been even walking with Jesus, but maybe along the way you become self-righteous and maybe you don't trust him. You don't follow him as much as you think you do. I wonder where we stand. Now, when we get to this chapter today, 
it's pretty clear that we're looking at the third group, aren't we? It's clearly to do with the Pharisees. Um, and there is a strong warning to people who, who are like the Pharisees. But there's also an encouragement, I think, and a challenge for us who are part of the other groups. Are the seeking or following Jesus already? Now, as we get to this chapter, we see that it's set in the Pharisee's house, right? It's pretty clear from verse 1. And they're around the table having a meal on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the day of rest on Saturday for the Jews. And Jesus was invited to have a meal with them, right? The Jewish leaders inviting Jesus to a meal. Now, this is the only recorded meal that the Pharisees had with Jesus. And when you read this chapter, you will understand why Jesus never got invited back again, okay? He was... um, the guests from heaven, not hell, from heaven, and that was too much for them, right? It was really one uncomfortable meal. I'm not sure whether you felt that as you heard Alice read, do the reading, but it's uncomfortable. More uncomfortable than meeting your future in-laws for the first time, especially after you started dating their daughter long distance, and the first time you meet them, you're going to tell them you're going to get married. That was me, by the way. <laughs> Super awkward. Uh, well, this is worse, okay? This is worse. I'll tell you my story another time, but this one is more uncomfortable. Now, we're going to focus on the parable, right, from verse 15 to 24. And it's the fourth contentious thing that happens in this meal. Fourth, right, in this, uh, in this meal. Uh, and it's probably the most confronting of four, all four episodes. Now, it's a parable, as you can probably tell from the story. It's a massive dinner party that's being, that's being held by this master. And people who had been invited one time, long time ago, had in, accepted the invitation. But when the party had finally begun and the servant went out to tell them to come to the party, they say no, right? And then after that, the master sends out the servant to invite other people and then they come. Right? That's pretty much the story of the parable. And the point that we'll see as we get to that parable is that Jesus is saying that he's graciously inviting people, graciously inviting people into his kingdom, but we have to accept the invitation and come in. He's graciously inviting many, many people into his kingdom, but we have to accept and come in. Now, to get the full weight of this parable, to understand it, and to know how we can apply it, we need to look at a few things that happen uh, before this story is told. And this is uh, one rare occasion where the context is pretty long, okay? But it's really helpful, and you'll see the payoff at the end, okay? Now, I want you to turn back to chapter 13, verse 23. So if you have a Bible, it's super easy. It's probably on the same page. If you have a phone, you've got to flick, 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 Click, 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 click. So better to use a Bible, right, than a phone. But anyway, that's okay, right? It's all a gift from God. Now, verse 13, chapter 13, verse 23, we see that someone comes along and he, they ask Jesus whether there will be only a few people or whether there'll be a lot of people in the kingdom of God, right? And then Jesus' answer is a bit cryptic in verse 24. He says, the entry door is narrow uh, and that many will not be able to go through. And then when you read around it, you realize that he's talking to people who think that they are in the kingdom, right? They think that they know the master, but in fact, they are evildoers who do not. Then you look at verse 29, there's kind of a different tune. He says that in the kingdom, they will come from the uh, uh, east and the west, the north and the south, or everywhere. People from everywhere will enter and recline at the table of the kingdom of God. Right, so we get this picture that the people who think they're inside, narrow door, not many will come in. But from everywhere, they'll be there, this table, reclining in the kingdom of God. Now this table, if you know your Old Testament, it's famous prophecies, especially in Isaiah 25, that the picture of eternity, of the kingdom, is pictured as a big, 
feast and celebration around this banquet, Isaiah 25. And in the vision of Revelation 19, which is a picture of the end, same thing, we see this wedding banquet of the Lamb of Jesus. And people from everywhere gathered around it, rejoicing and celebrating in the presence of God, enjoying eternal life. Right? So that's the background of this banquet, this dinner. Now we get to verse 34, 1334, and we see Jesus, or we hear Jesus lamenting, right? Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I'm like a mother hen trying to gather chicks. Jerusalem here is the city of God, right? The people of God. He wants to gather them in, but they refuse to come in. Now with all this in context, and we we get to verse uh, chapter 14, and we, we see that there is a table, and there is a dinner in the context of this heavenly banquet that is prophesied that Jesus is talking about. And we're wondering, will this table be representative of the eternal kingdom, with people gathered around it, rejoicing and celebrating? Or will it be like what Israel has been, refusing to be gathered by Jesus, narrow door that few will enter? And when we read this, uh, this chapter, we know very quickly what the answer is, isn't it? That these uh, religious Pharisees, these Jewish leaders, prove to be the rule of people who reject Jesus, who should have known better. Because right from the start in verse 1 in chapter 14, we're told the Pharisees brought Jesus in to watch him, right? Very closely. Right? They weren't trying to admire his beauty, right? They were trying to watch him to test him, as they often do. How do we know this? Because they invite him, especially on the Sabbath, where you're not supposed to work according to Jewish laws, and lo and behold, verse 2, who's there in the room? In this grand Pharisee's house is a man with dropsy, right? How did he get there? You wonder about that? That's only what? Dropsy guy, right? Dropsy is apparently some uh, swelling-related illness, okay? And the Jewish laws was that you shouldn't heal and treat people on the Sabbath because it's not a work day and doing medicine is work. And so we get to this first episode where we see that... Uh, uh, these, these uh, Pharisees are setting Jesus up uh, to do something to violate the law. And he turns it around them, right, to show how religiously hypocritical that they were. Because Jesus says, if your son fell down or your ox fell into a ditch, what would you do on a Sabbath? You would pick him up, right, which is work according to the laws. Right? So for their own benefit, for their son, for their things, their animals, they would work and bend the laws. But to help a man in need who they didn't know cannot right? Must uphold the law. Hypocrisy, isn't it? They will serve themselves and bend the laws. Now, second episode we see, verse 7 onwards, is Jesus' turn to watch the Pharisees. You see that? He's observing what they're doing as they come into this party to see where they sit. And the closer you are to the host, the more honored is the position, okay? Can you imagine a huge table? Whoever's closest to me, I'm the host, you are honored, right? You get to feel my spit as I speak honor of my holy spirit. Okay, no, right, it's just the culture all the time. And he noticed that they will always fill in the early spots, right, the, the nearest spots. Uh, and Jesus says to them, in the kingdom of heaven, we don't do that. Right? We humble ourselves and not self-exalt. In God's kingdom, humility is what God values. And God will humble the proud. And these men were certainly proud. Episode three. Jesus turns his attention now Uh, to the host, doesn't he? So we're looking at verse 12. He says to the host, "Um, let me see, who have you invited to this party? Now, I'm not sure if you've ever done that. Have you ever questioned your host? Why did you invite these people? 
Uh, probably not a good idea, isn't it? It's a bit insulting to say that. But Jesus had a reason, because he knew the motivation for why they invited these people. He knew that Pharisees only invite people who will repay them back somehow. Right, it's the reason why, you know, I would invite Randy over for dinner. Because I know he's such a, a good Asian man who will repay the favor, and he will always cook sambal chicken for me. <laughs> so I give him my lousy soy sauce chicken, but I know I get something better in return. Sambal chicken, right, where he's fried outside, smells awesome. It's a whole experience. So if Randy invites you, just say yes, okay? <laughs> but you know these people are like that, right? For their personal gain, for business gain, for reputation gain, that's the only kind of people they invite. They won't invite the, the outcast, those who can't repay. And Jesus says, the kingdom's not like that. When you serve people, you do it for God to repay you, to, for God to reward you, not for other people, not for gaining things in this life. True hospitality for people who believe in God and are part of the kingdom are those who serve people who can't repay. Now, this is not to say that you can't serve people who can repay, but you don't only just do that, right? And Jesus says, these people who will be rewarded will be rewarded at the resurrection of the just, which is kind of a beautiful phrase talking about heaven, isn't it? The kingdom of heaven when it comes. So we've got three episodes leading up to our story, and there's a common theme that's running through them all. Can you notice it? The common theme, the big problem, the heart of hearts, these Pharisees are about self, aren't they? Whether it's religious life or personal life, it's about putting themselves at the center of their world. It's about finding ways to get what's best for them. Now, with all that context in place, we're ready to kind of dive into verse 15. Right? We're ready to, to see what this fourth and last episode in this super uncomfortable meal is going to be about. So have a look at verse 15. Okay? This is where the, the fourth episode begins. Now, when one of those who reclined at table with him, so one of the uh, Pharisees, uh, heard him say these things, that you see the rebuke, right, of the previous 14 verses. Uh, this uh, uh, Pharisee said to Jesus, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, it's a strange thing to say in the middle of this conversation, isn't it? Suddenly he pipes up, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. He's just been rebuked. It's all been so uncomfortable. What was he trying to do with this statement? You ever wonder about that? Maybe he was trying to break attention. So uncomfortable, so awkward. I'll say something spiritual, right? I mean, we're all among spiritual people here. I'll say something spiritual. I'll say something pious in the hope that, you know, everyone's going to agree with that, right? And maybe he was thinking everyone would just say, yes, brother, amen, hallelujah, right? Blessed are we indeed. And then Jesus would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then maybe they were like, <laughs> you know, an awkward laughter after saying, yeah, I want you to feel the awkwardness, right? When you read the Bible, you've got to get into it, right? It's awkward. And you can imagine a pause. And then Jesus answers and tells a story. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. Now, it really isn't hard for us to see what this great banquet is about because we've done the context, Right? We're not talking about just any old banquet. This story is clearly about the eternal kingdom, isn't it? It's about this, uh, this eternal kingdom that's been on view since chapter 13. It's prophesied from the Old Testament, as we knew in Isaiah 25. It's been believed and received by the Jews from the myriad of promises from the Old Testament. They all were believing and hoping for this eternal kingdom that will be marked by this wonderful picture of this great banquet. 
The invitations had gone out for centuries, and the Jews had received it. But now, the party was about to begin. And how do we know that? Because Jesus has come. Jesus said so, right? Who remembers the first recorded thing that Jesus said as he began his ministry? Anyone know? Mark chapter 1, verse 15. The time has not yet come. Has come, actually. So Mark chapter 1, verse 15, it says, so if you want to write it down, you want to turn back to it, Mark 1, 15 says, Jesus' first words, as he began his ministry, he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Right? The time has come. The Old Testament has been waiting for this moment for the kingdom to come. It's at hand. It's near. I'm bringing it in. So he said, right? And as he continued on teaching, he was teaching about the kingdom of God. He was about to bring in the kingdom of God. The huge dinner party was about to begin, and those who had been invited were told to come in. The party is starting. Now, it's kind of like how we do invites today. It's a long, drawn process, isn't it? Especially if it's a big party, like a wedding or a huge uh, surprise birthday party for Elsa or Zach. Uh, they seem to always have this big you know, build-up. And the first thing that happens is the teaser, right? The teaser, email, uh, there's some fancy video. There's no details whatsoever. Right, it's a teaser. Then before long, then there's an invite. Facebook event, page is set up, you get an invite. And you made the RSVP. Uh, and then maybe about two days beforehand, the host wants to remind you it's about to start. So another invitation, another reminder for you to come. And then party time begins, right? That's kind of how we do it. It's kind of like what's going on here, right? But back then, there was no you know, online event messaging, but they have servants. So we see in the story that the servant is being sent by the master to remind everyone that the party is about to begin. Come along. Now, what is the response to these people who had been invited and who had accepted? Well, they said they would come, but they're not going to come anymore, right? And they start to dish out all the excuses. Now, the first guy we see with his excuse that he had bought a field and he needs to go and see it. Who's bought a house recently? You're too young mostly to buy a house. Who's bought a, a car recently, right? Some of you have, right? Surely you went to view it before you bought it, right? I mean, even me, I, I mean, I only viewed my house one time before I bought it. Uh, but at least I saw it one time, right? But this guy, he's like, oh, I've got to go see my field. I just bought it. What kind of excuse is that? And uh, could he see it after the party? Like, the party is at night, right? Dinner party. How do you see anything at night? <laughs> go next day, lah, you know? But, you know, the guy, he made his financial commitment. He likes his stuff. And he has to go see his field. His financial matters, his field is more important than the master and the party. Right? Clearly. And so he says to the servant, please excuse me from coming to your party. Well, the second guy, he has just bought five yoke of oxen and he needs to go and examine them. Uh, now, five yoke of oxen apparently is a lot. A uh, normal cattle farmer back in those days had one, maybe two yoke of oxen. So this guy is pretty rich, big business, Right? And he just bought this bonza lot of oxen. Maybe MSA-graded choice, you know? And I'm not sure about you guys, when you buy something expensive and nice. So for me, you know, when I bought my new second-hand car, uh, it was still quite nice because it was all, like, detailed and everything. Oh, what did I do? I walked around the car a few times. Examined the car from every angle, crawled down to the car, see how it looks. Wow, they even cleaned underneath. So nice. Then I would slowly go inside the car into the driver's seat, and I closed the door. Wow, sure. Open again, close, right? 
And then what's next? I press all the buttons, flick all the toggles, because you've got to see what everything does, right? And then you need to sit there, and then you've got to smell. Oh, new car smell. Sure. Actually, it's not a new car. Someone dis dis disinfected it, you know, days before I bought it. Then what you do next is you get out of the driver's seat, and you go to the passenger seat, because you want to see how everyone else will view the world as you drive them. <laughs> right? And you go to the boot, and you put the seats down, you see how much space you can fit, where they can put a, 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 a dead body, I mean, uh, <laughs> furniture inside. Okay? It's natural for us to examine our products that we, we appreciate and buy. But surely you could wait. One night. And you said yes to the party, why not just go? But clearly, this oxen was more important, right? Uh, his financial matters, his flock was more important than the master and his party. So he too asked to be excused from the party. And finally, we have the newly married man. Now, you see, this guy, he doesn't bother with an excuse. No excuse given, no stuff's given, right? He just say, cannot, can't come, and that's it. Uh, I've got to spend time with my wife. Um, couldn't you just bring the wife to the party? You know, uh, there's a Bruno Mars song or something, right? She loves to dance, so bring her before you, where you have the chance. I can't remember what that song's about anyway. But it's, you know, party, dancing, food, bring the wife along. You've got the whole life to spend with your wife. Why not come to the party? It's strange, isn't it? These three people, they all had accepted the invite one time when it was first sent, but now when the party was about to begin, they changed their mind. Financial, family concerns, whatever it was, there was something more important than attending the party. Now, if this was party, it was just thrown by some random guys, just some random story that Jesus told. It's no big deal, right? So what? Right? If I get invited to a big party, say, you know, Donald Trump, President Donald Trump invites me to his house, uh, White House, you know, there's an like, embossed paper with an official invite to, you know, Pastor Benjamin Ho of SLE Church. And then I would send an official reply, SLE Church, not embossed, cheap paper, right? I'm officially coming. But on the day itself, I call them up, or I SMS him because we have buddies, and I say, I can't make it, mate. It's no big deal. It's no skin off his teeth, and I'm not really missing out, really, am I? Now, if this party was kind of like that, then you kind of think, well, well, whatever, no big deal. But we know in context that this is the eternity-defining party. It's not just any party. It's the eternity-defining dinner party. It is the celebration of those who would receive and enter into God's eternal kingdom. You're either in his kingdom or you're out without any of God's blessings, without any of God's life that he wants to give you. It's either here or there, and this is the party that symbolizes whether you're in or not. Accepting invite into this party is eternity-defining. In the words of Revelation 19, it is the marriage supper of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, and it's those who trust in Jesus, who have been saved by His blood. They're the ones who are there, and everyone else is not. They're the ones who are in the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And in light of that, the excuses given by these men are so lame, right? So lame in light of the occasion. It is so tragic that these men who had said yes one time to coming, when it finally arrived, they refused to come. Now, it's clear. I don't think the Pharisees needed to be rocket scientists to be able to figure out who Jesus meant by these three men in this story, right? They were those who had received the invite. They were the people of God. And yet, when the party had begun with Jesus' coming, they refused to come. Jews! Pharisees, right? Leaders of the Jews. 
They received the promises from God, but when Jesus came, they rejected him. Why? Well, that's why we did the context work, right? We saw in the previous episodes why. Because it, their religion has ceased to be about God. Right? Their rules were not about honoring and worshiping God. Their religion was about looking out for themselves. Where they would bend the rules when it suited them, but they would insist upon it when it helped other people. Right? Their, their religion had become not about God, but about self. Because they wanted to be exalted in this life rather than to be exalted by God. To be exalted in this life by men. To have the high positions, to have the successes in this life rather than to be exalted by God. It's because they sought to promote themselves rather than to love and serve others. That they would only invite people to their parties who would pay them back. Not living the kingdom's way of loving and serving sacrificially for the sake of the good of others. We saw this, right, in the previous three episodes. And so they rejected God's son when he came because they rejected the kingdom. Because they had decided that what they wanted in this life, what they wanted for themselves was more important than God and Jesus and the eternal kingdom. Less important now because now they have been consumed with their own things. And so, Jesus is saying, these people won't get God. They won't be in the eternal kingdom. In verse 24, as we finish the story there, he says, none who reject the invite shall taste God's banquet. Right? None who reject will be allowed to enter. Now, I'm not sure if that sobers uh, you up a little bit, whether that's a sobering message. I guess it depends on where you're at, isn't it? Whether there's a sobering message for us or not. We really have to ask ourselves, have we and do we continue to want to receive the invite into God's kingdom? And when Jesus comes back on that final day to begin these celebrations, will we actually want to be there? Will we actually want to be there? Are we making excuses? Are we finding some way to, to make an excuse that maybe this Jesus guy, this kingdom of God stuff isn't really that big a deal? And maybe there's other things in your life that's becoming more important to you, more valuable, more treasured, more than Jesus, that you won't want to trust him anymore, that you won't want to follow him wholeheartedly anymore. Now, in our church, we, we go through this all the time, right? We, we look around the room, and we, we know the different temptations we face. In this congregation, it's mainly students, and we are consumed by our grades and our achievements. Some of you here are workers, and, and you're caught up by, by climbing that career ladder, by gaining fame and, 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 and making a name for yourself, feeling self-fulfilled in your work. And then we want to have families, and we, we treasure the people that, that we, we love. And they are good things. We were like stuff, right? We were like compiling cars and properties and investments and experiences, food and travel. Now, these are all good gifts from God, but then they slowly creep up in the importance in our lives and they become ultimate and take the place of God, such that when the party begins, we estimate the party to be less valued than what we have. And then we stop trusting in Jesus and stop following him wholeheartedly. Is it really more valuable? Right? Sometimes you can stop and ask yourself, you know, ask yourself this question. Uh, is my studies and career more important than the state of my eternal soul and body? Now, when you put it like that, it's a pretty easy answer, right? Well, I mean, you ask yourself, you know, 
Would I put my need for personal fulfillment, for worldly achievements, for family acceptance in this life above the pleasure and acceptance of my Creator and my Savior God? Or we ask ourselves, why will we let momentary satisfaction, sexual pleasure, experiences in this life and stuff that we can have lead us away from Jesus Christ, our Lord? And what kind of excuses are you making, you think? at this point in your life, for not trusting in Jesus wholeheartedly, for not following him and going all in as a believer. Now, if you are not a believer here this morning, I guess it's something to think about, isn't it? Is really Jesus worth it? Is he really more valuable? Is the kingdom really real, such that I will do everything I can to receive it and get in that party? Is it really better than all the things of this world? Now, if you are in that journey of searching and seeking, please find the answers to your questions. Because, as, I, as we believe here, this party is the eternity-defining thing to do. And if along the way you come to realize that, and I hope you will, you will rush in. You accept the invite and come to the party. But if that's not where you're at yet, then find out, right? We'd love to share with you. Your friend who brought you here, Steve, myself, we would love to tell you why it is that we believe that Jesus is the one you have to know, why you need him, why you have to be at that party, and why it's so good and why it defines all of eternity. So let us please share that with you. Now, if you're a believer here this morning, uh, and you are someone who has put your faith in Jesus, and you are eagerly waiting for the party to begin, then you can be encouraged, isn't it, to know that you're not making these excuses, to be encouraged to not make these excuses, to stay firm in your faith in Jesus, and to walk closely with Him. It's an encouragement for us to know that we are not who Jesus is talking about. Henga, right? Few, right? Uh, it's a good thing to be encouraged. We don't always just have to be rebuked by God's word. Some of us are doing pretty well, actually, in trusting and following Jesus. But there are others of us who are believers here this morning for which we have uh, our faith waning, right? Uh, where our uh, sights on Jesus and the kingdom is being distracted to the things of this world. Where whether it's over a process of weeks and months and years, we are fading away, falling away, or whether it's been a sudden drop because of a temptation or a trial in your life, then I think we need to be discomforted by this passage. We need to hear the warnings of this passage. Don't be that person who on that final day makes the excuse that you don't want to come to the party because you've fallen so far away from holding on to Jesus. Now in February... First week of February, saying this, uni hasn't started yet for a lot of you. Work hasn't ramped up, maybe, for some of you. Maybe you feel like, oh, I'll be okay. But remember this as the year gets harder. Remember this as life gets harder to keep coming back to trusting in Jesus and following Him. Now, it's good to be discomforted by God's Word, isn't it, to be rebuked. Because it's the, true, it's the one with true faith who hears the rebukes of Scripture and responds in faith. So please do that today. Now, we haven't quite finished with the parable, have we? We've only looked at kind of half of it. Uh, and we see that part of the parable is pretty much about warnings, right? It's pretty much pointing out to the Pharisees and saying, you guys are in big trouble. You're not in when you think you are. But it also contains an amazing story of grace in the other half, isn't it? Now, in response to those who reject, the master is rightly angry. But then we see what he does next. We see that the party will carry on, right? He is not cancelling the party. Neither is he postponing it or delaying it. It will go on ahead, regardless of who comes or who doesn't come. But the master's desire, as we see 
is that many will come, right? The party will go on, but many people, he wants to be there. And so the master throws open the invite to those who won't normally get invited to parties, right? People in the city who are the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. They're the outcasts that don't usually get invited. And the master sends his servant to tell them to come. And they come, right? And you see here, there's no excuses that we can see, and they just come. But after that, they come, the servant says, it's still room, master. So the master says, all right, go further, right? Go into the countryside, go to the highways, and get out there and invite more people because there's still room, and I want to fill this room, and I want to bless people with all of my blessings. I want them to, to enjoy this party, to enjoy the kingdom, to have all of my blessings poured out on them. And so the master says to the servant, compel them to come to my party. Now, compel here, sometimes we think compel means force, right? Now, we know the master doesn't force anyone because the original invites, when they said no, God didn't force them, right? The master didn't force them. Compel here doesn't mean force. It means convince, right? Persuade, uh, urge people. Now, why is it that these people need to be convinced? Well, uh, out in the countryside, they probably don't know who this master is. They're probably wondering, why are you inviting me to a party? Are you trying to, like, kidnap me and, you know, do bad stuff to me? They may they watch too many horror movies. Uh, but no, right? It's because you need to be convinced about who this master is and, and uh, to know why they're being invited. It needs to be explained to them. And so the master says to the servant, make sure you convince them. Tell them who I am. Tell them what this party is about. Tell them why they're going to be here. Why? Because the master wants a full house. He wants as many people as possible to share in the richness of his grace and his blessings. He wants to pour it out. You see, in light of this, right, can you see it's so tragic how the Pharisees and so many other Jews who had the privilege of knowing God and who at some point in their life waited eagerly for God, but then when he did turn up, when Jesus came, they didn't want to come in. But then it's kind of offset, isn't it, by this amazing picture of God that he wants to throw open the doors. He wants to bring everyone else in, anyone who wants to come, to come into his eternal kingdom. And he'll even send people out to convince people why they ought to come. He will do that. You know, sometimes it's easy for us, depending on the kind of church background or what you know about Christianity, to think that God is some stingy, you know, quick to judge God, wants to hold back stuff from you. And then you read a passage like this and you know clearly the master represents God in all of his gracious generosity, how his invite, his call has been sent out to everyone. And you kind of think to yourself, I've got to trust God. You know, even though the people I've been sharing the gospel with, my family, my friends, colleagues, classmates, even though they seem so hard and I might doubt God's goodness and wanting to save them, I read this and I go, no, I know God wants them to be saved. But the, but the, the truth is that they need to, to accept the invite, isn't it? We know that our job is to convince them of the greatness of Jesus and the necessity of being in this party. And so maybe we ought to be like the servants in trying to convince them, knowing how generous and gracious and good God is. Now let's wrap things up. Luke 14 is very discomforting. It is a super awkward meal, especially for those who are sitting there in the first place, the Pharisees, who thought they were all right with God, who were satisfied in their religion, in their self-righteousness. And they perhaps are like people born into Christian homes who think that they're automatically in the party. Or people who once said a sinner's prayer some long time ago and thought, well, once saved, always saved. Or maybe even for people of us who have been following Jesus for quite some time, but maybe our heart really isn't in it. 
anymore. And maybe the excuses are ready and piled up to give to Jesus when he returns and asks us to go home. And the warning here for us is maybe we aren't going to be there at all if we don't make some changes, if we don't renew our faith and start walking with Jesus again. This chapter ought to shake us up. And like I said, it's those with spiritual ears who are here. As Steve was preaching for two weeks ago with the four souls to, to examine every time you come to God's word, whether you're like that path in which the seed lands and is taken away by a bird, or whether you are like a rocky soil where the word will go in for a little while and then it gets choked out, I mean it gets dried out right, by the cares of this world, or whether you're like in the weeds, right? And you go away from here and suddenly all the temptations and all the, 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 the trials of life choke out the word or whether you're going to be like that fruitful, rich soil that receives the word of God and bears fruit ten times, a hundred times. I hope that we will respond as as people who are like the the second category, the disciples who hear the teachings of Jesus and want to respond with faith and with fruitfulness. And maybe we'll be encouraged to see that just like Jesus had compassion for the lost, just as God is so gracious and generous in wanting everyone to come to his kingdom, we would do the work of sending out the invites, of being the people who will convince our family and friends to come in to see the greatness of Jesus and the necessity of being in this eternal party. For it is an eternally defining party for every single person. Let me pray. Our loving, gracious, generous Henry Father, we thank you so much for this picture that we see in this parable, the great banquet, that you are a God who wants your party full who wants to see your kingdom filled with many, many, many countless of people from all people, nations, languages, and tribes. And we thank you that in order to do that, you have sent the invite out into the ends of the earth. It all began with Jesus coming to reveal the kingdom for Jesus in the way he taught, in the way he obeyed you perfectly, in the way that he fulfilled the law and was perfect in order that he may die for our sins, in the way that he rose from the dead, and began the eternal kingdom in the way that he promised before he left that he will return, that he will begin the party in full, the party that will go on for eternity as we spend it with you and join your blessings. In light of that, we pray that you'll really shake us up for those of us who are starting to wane, who are starting to fall away and drift away, who are starting to build up the excuses, who are being succumbed by the temptations and the trials of this life. We pray that you'll help us to be shaken up this morning and that we might replace and and restore and renew our faith in Jesus and our desire to walk with him in our hope of that kingdom coming and our desire to really want to be there. We pray for those who are seeking after you today. We thank you for the message that you are so generous and gracious in wanting everyone to come to you. And we pray that those who are seeking after you would see the graciousness and the glory of the invite that you give out to them through the gospel of Jesus, that they'll come to know Jesus, that they'll come to trust in him. We also thank you that for the rest of us who are seeking to be faithful and fruitful as disciples of Jesus, that you help us to press on, that you encourage us by your word this morning, but that you also help us to see that your invite continues to be sent out and that you might use us to draw people into your kingdom. Help us to be doing the work of convincing and persuading people to know Jesus and trust him. For we pray that in Jesus' name and for his glory.